You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. From Psalm 3, and as it says on the screen, you can find that on page 472 of the Pew Bible. Lord, how my foes increase. There are many who attack me. Many say about me, there is no help for him in God. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lay down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. Rise up, Lord. Save me, my God. You strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Well, if I haven't met you, my name's Josh. Um, I've probably seen most of your faces each week, and I probably know half of your names, maybe less, because I'm terrible with names. Um, But it's a real pleasure to be up here this morning and to bring God's word to you today. Um, Something I've been doing this week is I've been listening to a podcast. Um, I think that means that I'm officially in my mid-30s. And... (laughs) Strike one, Joanna. Um, And I've been listening to this guy talk about, um, he's written a book and he's been interviewing people um, each episode. And these people are people that are, um, he describes them as people who have every reason to not be in church anymore. Um, And I think about myself and I often think, how the heck am I still in church? I think about my life, I think about my interactions with Christianity, um, the choices I've made and some of the, the things that I've believed throughout my life. Um, and I just keep thinking, how, how am I still in church? And I think the one thing I keep walking away with is it's clear that God has his way with his people and he carries them. And I'm so thankful for that. Um, what's that, Jono? Did I go on a hike yesterday? I did. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, I was on a hike yesterday and um, with my good friend, Pastor Jonathan, and one thing that I notice every single time I go on a hike is, um, especially when I'm with Jono, is I notice, at some point in every hike I notice this, I notice how much I'm looking like this at the ground, hoping I don't fall over. hoping that it's not another step up, hoping that I don't have to keep climbing. And then I hear Jono's voice often in the distance say, wow, did you see that? No. Looking <laughs> at the ground. <laughs> and I just have this thought every single time that I just wish I could be up there like him with his thumbs in his backpack straps looking at the sky at all the beautiful creation, taking in the landscape that God's painted for him. But instead, I'm just focused 
on the ground. And my hope for us today is that we can be a little bit more like Jono on a hike and a little bit less like me and that we can be looking up and preparing ourselves for what God's painted for us in the landscape that is his word. So I'm going to pray for us and then we'll jump into Psalm 3. God, I pray that you open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us today. Um, I pray that you make your word come alive in us and help us to walk away knowing more about you so that we can hold on to you for the rest of our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, James mentioned how much of a blessing it is to serve here at church, and I just firstly want to echo that. Um, it, it truly is a privilege to serve here at church, not only just to serve God, but each, each one of you guys um, make it a privilege to serve the church. Um, Briley and I truly do feel blessed every time we come here and um, serve. And one of the two things I love doing is I love um, leading small group and represent front row. I really love that. Um, I really love each person that comes to our house each week. And it's a real blessing to do life with these people. So if you're not in a small group, um, get in one, get connected, walk together with brothers and sisters. It's something that is worth doing. And another thing I love doing is leading music. And there's nothing quite like standing here and hearing the choir that is everyone's voices coming at you. The closest thing that you can get to that if you're not serving on the music team is standing in the front row. So can I encourage people to do that every week? But I really love, the one thing I really love the most about this church is how much we love to sing. It's a real blessing when you serve on a ministry and the whole church joins in and um, participates in whatever it is you're doing. So yeah, it, it's a privilege to, to sing with you guys and then lead you guys in worship each week. And those who are on the music team know exactly what I mean when I'm saying that. Um, so this is the first time I've ever preached. I'm only saying that because I have no idea how long that's going to go for. But I figure we haven't heard from Jono for about a week, uh, a month, sorry. And so if I go long, I've already done a hiking story. It's just going to be like having him here. <laughs> All right. Enough of that. <laughs> so it's no secret that I'm a fan of music. Um, if you've known me for any amount of time, you'll know that the band on the screen right there is my favorite band. Um, and I love the art that is music. I love the way that you can communicate in um, such a, a short song, you can communicate a lot of things. Um, it's probably why I love the Psalms, actually, because songs about God, it's something that I love. Um, I feel like I can relate to reading through the Psalms as an artist, listening to another artist tell his story. Um, some of my favorite bands that I've been listening to for a very long time, I would probably say that they've probably even contributed to the way that I see the world in some ways. Um, and I think that just kind of happens when we listen to a lot of music or a lot of content, we start getting shaped by what we're hearing. Um, it's actually something that I love um, trying to do as a musician myself and a songwriter. I try to um, communicate through songs in a way that will help other people shape the way that they see the world. Um, some of the artists I love listening to the most have probably, uh, I probably think even that, um, I probably walk away feeling like I kind of know them a little bit just because I've listened to a lot of their songs for a very long time. And I see a few people nodding their heads, so I've, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm not the only one. Um, but this is another thing I love about the Psalms. The more I read the Psalms, the more I feel like 
I'm getting to know David. Um, in fact, it's actually my opinion that David's probably one of the most knowable people in the scriptures. Because not only do you get to read his life story through Samuel and Kings, but you also get to get a really good insight into who he is, the way that he thinks, um, his reactions, his, his um, interactions with God. You get to hear him at his weakest and at his most joyful. And so it's, it's almost impossible to read the Psalms and not walk away getting a bit of an insight into who he is. In this day and age, we have a lot of reasons to write songs, a lot of reasons to write anything, blogs. We've got TikTok, we've got Instagram, we've got... Um, writing's a great way to get known. Um, it's a great way to get your feelings out. Some people make money with it. Um, but with David, I get the idea that David is writing from a place of what he believes. He's writing how he feels. He's writing the moment. When something happens to David, he's writing about it which is awesome as a reader. You get to really see the, the rawness of what David's feeling at the time in, in which he's writing. I have a friend. Um, that might come as a shock to some of you guys. <laughs> I've had him my whole life, actually, which could be even more of a shock. But he's got a couple of kids. One of them is his youngest, a boy. He's just about to turn two years old. And... Um, he told me this story last year about when he taught his boy how to jump. And some of you with kids or um, nieces or nephews may have had this interaction with a child. But what he would do is he would put his child up onto the couch and he'd stand a step back and he'd say, come on, jump, come into daddy's arms. And the first jump is probably a bit of a fall where kid falls in, daddy catches kid. The second jump is a little bit more confident. And then after every jump, you get the celebration. Yay, let's do it again. And by the third or fourth or fifth jump, kids racing onto the couch to leap into your arms because they're having a ball. Now, the thing that the kids learn about daddy when they're doing this exercise is that daddy is the master of catching. Daddy never drops me. In fact, I don't even know what drop means at that age. Daddy is the master of catching. Jump after jump, catch after catch. That's, that's who daddy is. He's proven this. He actually told me um, one story about one situation when his kid got up on the couch, he wasn't paying attention, and his kid jumped, and it's one of his proudest moments as a human being. He caught his kid out the corner of his eye, threw out his arm, and caught him just before he hit the ground. Kid's none the wiser. He walks away going, see, daddy is the master of catching. I can almost hear the little boy saying to the couch, look, Dad's not even watching, but I bet he's going to catch me. <laughs> and he did. Now, when I read the Psalms, I get the idea that David also has a confidence in who he knows his God to be. When he speaks, he speaks out of that confidence, and every word that he writes is a reflection of that conviction that he has, the confidence that he has in who his God is. Something that I say to our small group often, and they're probably sick of me saying this, but um, my goal here, our goal as we're unpacking the scriptures, and my hope for us today, is that we can um, underline our experiences with the knowledge and the surety of who God is. Um, I love asking Christians why, why they believe in God. I ask Christians this a lot, actually, and it's probably something you should ask yourself as often as you think about it. Why is it that you believe in God? Um, 
a lot of people respond with things like, well, because he's never failed me. I felt his presence one time. I look back over my life and I can see that his hand has always been constant. These are really good things to say. These are really good things to hold on to and I don't want to belittle any of them. But one thing is sure is that we're given the scriptures to be the foundation for our understanding and our knowledge of who God is. So my goal every time I open the word of God is to lift up our experiences and rather have them as a tent pole or the foundation of our walk with God, have the word as a, as a firm foundation underneath those experiences so that we know who God is no matter what our experiences are. So that's what I want to do today. Um, so with that in mind, we're going to jump into Psalm 3. And sorry, I think I've skipped a slide or two there. There you go. I did that. <laughs> So we're going to get into Psalm 3, and I'm going to give you some background on Psalm 3. Um, it probably says a little bit of a spiel in your Bible at the top there, but this is King David writing at a time where his son Absalom is actually seeking out to try and find him and kill him. Lovely. Um, to get some context on the hostility between David and his son Absalom, you've got to look in 2 Samuel 13. Absalom's got a few kids represented in this story. He's got, uh, sorry, David's got a few kids. He's got Absalom, he's got Amnon, he's got Tamar, his daughter. Um, what happens in this story is Amnon rapes his sister Tamar. Absalom finds out, not too happy about it. Absalom plans to have his brother Amnon killed. That's exactly what happens. Daddy King David finds out he's not too happy. And so Absalom decides the best thing to do is flee for a few years while Daddy starts to mourn. Daddy mourns. King David mourns for a period of about three years. Absalom comes back. He's reunited with his dad. Happy family. Not quite. <laughs> um, we read on in 2 Samuel 15 that one of the, maybe the only reason that Absalom comes back um, was not just to reunite with his dad, but he actually wanted to plot to take the kingdom off his dad. And what he would do is, and I can see this in a Disney movie actually, what he did was he'd get up every morning really early, he'd stand out the front of the gates to the, uh, to the kingdom, and he'd meet everybody that would come to, to see da uh, David um, with their problems or, or whatever it is, and he'd say to them, hey, sorry, King David can't see you today, he's busy, hasn't got time, he's clearly preoccupied with other things, maybe things he thinks are more important than you, you've wasted your time, you've got to go back. But if I was the king, I'd have plenty of time for you. That's a good idea, maybe I should be the king. You know what, if I was the king, you'd be my number one priority. Um, and he did that for four years, and after about four years of that, it became pretty obvious that he had a bit of a following. So he planned this brilliant idea that he would go away, leave town for a while, rally up his following, come back and storm the castle. Now at this point, if you're thinking your family's dysfunctional, I'd say you're in pretty good company. <laughs> so he goes to his dad, King David, and he says, Dad, I've just got to go outside of the city for a while. I'm, I'll come back. Do you mind if I go? King David says, on your way. And he leaves, he gathers his following, 
and he's planning to come back and overthrow the kingdom. Fortunately, King David gets word from an advisor that that's exactly what's about to happen. So rather than stage a big war in the city, he decides the best thing to do is pack up and leave. And he does. Well, Absalom comes back with the army, walks into the kingdom, he takes the throne, and then he's out to seek after his dad so he can find him and kill him. And this is the background in which David decides to write the following. It's just read out. Psalm 3. Lord, how my foes increase. There are many who attack me. Many say about me, there is no help for him in God. Selah. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. Selah. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. Rise up, Lord. Save me, my God. You strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. Selah. Now, one of the reoccurring conversations we often have in our small group is this, is this conversation around prayer. A lot of people often say, sometimes I just don't know how to pray. I don't know what to say. We actually even had one person say a while back, how honest can you be with God when you pray? Like, what if you're angry with him? Can, can you let him know that? I love this question. This is something I love about David, actually. David's always honest with God. It's one thing that you'll recognize if you read through the Psalms, you'll see just how honest David is with God. I've got a few examples of what David says to God in the Psalms. He says in Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Same Psalm, he says, I cry by day, but you do not answer. Psalm 61, God, hear my cry, pay attention to my prayer. That sounds like a three-year-old. Pay attention to me, listen. Psalm 69, I've sunk in deep mud and there's no footing. Same psalm, I'm weary from crying and my throat is parched. And here we have in Psalm 3, Lord, how my foes increase. See, David feels no need to put on a charade when he comes to interacting with God. And let's face it, why would we? We can definitely be honest with God. Do we think that we can fool God into thinking we're composed just because of the words we say? No. He knows our very thoughts. I've known many people who have been poorly counseled into feeling the need to avoid being honest, speaking negative words to God. I don't know why. Maybe because we get the illusion that our words are more powerful than He is. Or maybe we've been taught that when we pray, we have to come across like we've got it together because God only listens when, we've, when we're composed. Or maybe it's because if we admit defeat, that's a hole God can't get you out of. It's just not true. David's honest with God, and we can be too. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? I think most of us would know someone else who said those same words, Jesus on the cross. The same man who said, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn. The one who said that we need to come to him as children. He didn't say, I know you're upset. 
and go away, have a shower, put your suit on, and then we'll have a chat. No. So David knows he can be honest with God, and he cries out to him saying, How my foes increase, there are many who attack me. Many say about me, there is no help for him in God. Have you heard those words before? There is no help for me in God. Or maybe you've even said them to yourself. There's no point. There's no help for me in God. Not even God can save me. But then take note, the song changes. David remembers and starts to remind himself of who God is and who he knows God to be. In verse 3 he says, But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. David is reminding himself that God is not bound by the voices around him. He's acknowledging that God's place is his holy mountain. He's not trying to manipulate God or will his way to victory. But he's simply acknowledging that God is on his throne no matter his circumstances. God, this is where I am, but you're still on your holy mountain. That's what he's saying. He goes on in verse 5. I lie down and sleep and I wake again because the Lord sustains me. This is probably my favorite line in the song. Notice what he doesn't say here. He doesn't say, I lie down and sleep and I wake again because in third grade, my teacher said, that's how sleep works. Science. No. He also doesn't say, I lie down and sleep and I wake again because I've killed lions and tigers and bears and giants. I don't mean to brag, but I've got my son covered. <laughs> no. He says, I lie down and sleep and awake again because the Lord sustains me. And I want to be clear on something. This is not something that just applies to David. David's not special here when he's making this statement. This verse applies to every single one of us. You see, sometimes I feel like the thing we need the most is to be reminded that God is no more or less active or present in our times of prosperity than he is in our times of suffering. I'll say that again. God is no more or less active or present in your times of suffering than he is in your times of prosperity. Though we feel like at times when things are going well, we don't need God. But let me tell you that if God completely stopped paying any attention to you for even a nanosecond, you wouldn't just stop breathing. You'd simply cease to exist. Jono reminded us of a poem late last year in, in Advent um, written by a lady by the name of Anna Bartlett Warner. Many of you are probably already saying it in your mind right now. The poem reads... Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Sometimes I think we need to stop 
thinking that these songs are about the little ones, the weak ones, the other ones. If I could change one word in this poem, I'd call up Anna and I'd say, can we change one word? I'd say, little ones to him belong. We are weak, but he is strong. We are the weak ones. You and I are as weak as they come. And I truly mean this. Even when we're at our strongest, maybe 22, just finished uni, pumping iron. <laughs> that was not me. <laughs> we still need the Lord to wake us up every single morning. In fact, if it wasn't for God, none of you would be here this morning. I wouldn't be here this morning. David understood this. And in light of this, he says, I would not be afraid of thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. And my friends, if you and I were truly able to grasp who God is and how much of our very existence is consistently, is constantly dependent on him, we wouldn't fear thousands of people either. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not telling you that David wasn't anxious. I'm sure that there were many times that he was. Maybe even as he's writing this very song, he might have a thousand different emotions inside of him fighting for their space. May I remind you that his son has an army and they're trying to find him and kill him. That's not only terrifying. It's a photo of the army, actually. (laughs) Absalom was a blonde. It's not only terrifying, it's actually heartbreaking. David probably wasn't just anxious about being killed. He was probably heartbroken about the fact that it was his son that was wanting to do it. See, I don't think David's in denial. I don't even think that he's assuming assuming that he's going to win and come out on top. I'm sure he definitely wants that. I'm sure he desires that. No one wants to be killed. But one thing that I feel is clear is that David knows that the intentions of a man are no match for the will of God. Doesn't matter what they want, definitely matters what he wants. In fact, even if David were to be killed in his sleep, I believe he'd still believe that. In fact, there's another account in the Old Testament. Um, Some of you may be familiar with the guys Mac, Shack, and Benny. Any VeggieTales fans out there? Um, If you're not, you might need to turn in your Bibles Bibles to Daniel chapter 3, but I'll read it for you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, Backstory, they were being threatened by the king to be thrown into a fiery furnace just for um, the sake of them not wanting to worship the God the king says they had to worship. And this was their response to the king. Uh, Daniel 3 17, you'll see their response. If the God we serve is willing to save us from the furnace of blazing fire, then he will rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as the king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. If God wants to save us, he will. But even if he doesn't, we won't stop worshipping him. On the surface, this sounds like a very courageous thing to say. I'd also argue that it's also a very childlike thing to say. Just like my friend's kid getting up on the couch saying, look, daddy's not even watching. (laughs) 
this could be seen as the child that stands up to the bully and says, well, my dad's bigger than you are. David goes on. So David has now stated that he has enemies after him. He's followed this up with the acknowledgement that God is sovereign. God is not moved by this. God is still on his throne. And he says then in verse 7, Rise up, Lord. Save me, my God. You strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Save me, David cries out. It's another example of David being uncomposed, unfiltered, maybe even childlike. Daddy, save me. You can almost hear those words from any young child as they've climbed too far up the tree and they realize they can't get down, or their foot's stuck in a bush. Or like me when I was seven and I went on a hike and I slipped into the river and as I'm grabbing onto the tree roots, I'm yelling out, Daddy, save me. Sometimes we need to just stop thinking that we're adults and realize that our feet are in the river and we've got to cry out to Daddy to save us. David continues in verse 8, Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. I'm going to take you back to verse 2 for a minute where it says, Many say about me there is no help for him in God. In my preparation for today, I learned that the word that is used for help in verse 2 is the same word that is used for salvation in verse 8. So David's hearing people say to him, there's no help, there's no salvation for you in God. But David knows that those people don't have the right to say those things. They can't tell me what God can and can't do, what's his right. The way he ends his psalm is very powerful. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I hear the voices, but salvation belongs to the Lord. I actually admitted to a friend um, a couple of weeks ago that I'm constantly torn. Um, I look at the, the world and I see that there's wars, kids getting tortured, Artificial intelligence and robots being made to learn how to think. Politicians fighting about whether or not they should offer refuge to dying people because in the end they're just going to cost us money. And I think to myself, how on earth could Jesus exist in a world like this? I truly do. And then I flick through the pages of the scriptures. I see wars. I see people mutilated. I see governments throwing people to lions or stoning them. I see people treated as slaves just to build an empire for one man. And I see that Jesus did, in fact, exist in a world like this. And he does exist in this world today. You see, in this psalm, David isn't trying to stay positive. He's not trying to declare a victory. He's simply acknowledging that despite his circumstances, God is still on the throne. David is reminding himself of who he knows his God to be. And like a child whose legs are waist deep in a river, he's yelling out, Daddy, save me, God. I feel like this song is a beautiful model for prayer. When we're in trials, when we feel like our enemies are surrounding us on the left and to the right, I draw out three points that David prays. David is honest with God. 
He allows himself to be vulnerable and he tells God exactly the trouble that he's in and how he feels about it. He then reminds himself of who he knows his God to be, who God is, but you, Lord. And then he cries out and asks the Lord for help. This is where I am. This is who you are. Come and save me. Now, as I mentioned at the top, David is ultimately only able to write this psalm because he knows who his God is. And the beauty here is that as we read the psalms, we can also be shaped and our understanding of our God can truly become the same as what it was for David. It's a real tragedy to say this, but many Christians, many Christians do not know who God is. Or worse yet, they have an idea of who God is that's not found anywhere in the scriptures. People hear popular sayings and attribute them to the word of God. Sayings like, well, God won't give you more than you can handle. Definitely heard that one. Or, don't worry, when a door shuts, God opens a window. Neither of those sayings can be found anywhere on the pages of the Bible. You see, what is happening here is that people are creating a God in their minds by using nice sayings or maybe even negative ones. And they're attributing them to the name of Jesus, the name of God. And my friends, when you call upon the name of a man-made Jesus, that Jesus won't save you. The power that is found in the name of Jesus is not made up of five letters. J-E-S-U-S, just in case you didn't follow along. In fact, there's many people walking around today whose name is Jesus, and their name holds no power. I've heard it said before, well, at least these people are saying the name of Jesus, right? I simply can't agree with that. The power that's found in the name of Jesus is found in who he is. And who he is is found in the pages of the scriptures. Not in our imagination. Not in popular sayings. To make matters worse, we get told, if you've been in church for a long time, you've probably been told this, you've got to read your Bible. Why do you got to read your Bible? Because it's the right thing to do. You've got to read your Bible. It's the right thing to do. It's a terrible reason to read your Bible. Because all we do then is we feel like it's the right thing to do and we feel like we have to do it. And every time we don't do it, we feel bad. I've had tons of conversations in the last two years alone with Christians who have said to me, I just don't feel like God's very happy with me right now. And I love to say to them, why? Tell me why. And their response is, well, I don't read my Bible very much and I don't, I don't pray enough. The Bible's not a chore. The Bible's a gift. Prayer's not a chore. Prayer's a gift. You see, God not only desires a relationship with us, but he's given us a book full of examples of who he is. He has revealed his character and his love towards us through each page. And we can be confident when we say that God loves us because he said so. It's actually um, a preacher, one of, one of my favorite preachers said this in a sermon. He said, we, we teach our kids to read. 
Do you know the best reason that we teach our kids to read? Because God gave us a book. That's how God decided to tell us who he is. That's why we teach our kids to read. I see merit in that. My encouragement for everyone here is to read your Bible. (laughs) But read as much as you can, as often as you can. Read a sentence. That's enough. Read the Psalms. Get to know who God is. Just like the boy climbing up on the couch saying, Daddy's the master of catching. Develop a confidence in who you know God is through his word. So that no matter if you're on the mountains or in the valleys, going through the good times, the bad times, or the mediocre ones, which is probably the more common, our understanding of God won't be shaped by those experiences. It'll be based upon who we know, who, who we know he is and who he is in his word. I'm going to pray for us. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for revealing yourself in your scriptures. I pray, Lord, that you would reach each of us where we are. That you remove the burdens of doing things for the sake of doing the right thing and help us to discover the joy that it is to get to know you. I ask, Lord, that you would refresh our hearts with a new desire to worship you, follow you, and grow in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the world can be a very dark place, but our God is a God of mercy through the ages, ever patient, ever kind. Uh, We're going to sing in response to what we've heard from Psalm 3. Uh, Feel free to stay seated and reflect on the words if you like, or to sing from where you're sitting if you're comfortable.